Hello, and welcome to this episode of Making Disciples with Robbie Gallaty, a resource to equip and encourage leaders to make disciples who make disciple makers. I'm your host, Chris Swain, here with Robbie Gallaty, the pastor of Long Hollow Baptist Church, founder and president of Replicate Ministries. This week, we continue our series on the discipleship pathway. We're talking about this model for ministry that we see in the life of Christ, and we try to emulate in our churches, and we try to show other churches, hey, you should have a discipleship pathway, or look at the discipleship pathway and see how you might adapt that uh, to your context. So last week, we talked about congregation, the first part of the discipleship pathway. And this week, we're going to lean into community, the second, uh, I hate to say steps. Steps is kind of odd, yeah. but because we're saying pathway, it almost fits. Well, it is a step in a sense. It's the next step. Yeah, well, it's walking. Okay, Here, right. here's how here's how we really solidified this idea. When Jesus says to his disciples, come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. That word follow is the idea of walking. That's right. The whole Christian life is a walk, Chris. Think about it. Now I'm I'm much more agreeable to this whole thing. Okay. Now, now that you now that you pointed out <laughs> yeah, the scripture. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Well, if you want to be biblical, I mean, if you want to be biblical, but I mean, think about it. In the Old Testament, God went to Abraham and he said, "You're going to take a long walk to somewhere that I'll tell you when you get there." There you go. Mount and in my opinion, that's one of the greatest miracles in the Bible. The fact that he convinces his wife to go on a journey with him, pack up the house, <laughs> let's roll, and uh, oh, where 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 are we going, uh, Abe? Gotta let us know when we get there. <laughs> Isn't that how every guy starts a journey? Where are we going? I'm not quite sure. We don't I'll know when we get there. <laughs> and those turn out to be the best journeys, actually. So uh, uh, Abraham's on a walk. Moses is on a walk. Think about it. He's on a long walk, 40 years. That is a very uh, long walk. A very long walk. <laughs> Children of Israel, long walk. But then Jesus comes and he says, come follow me, which is a picture of walking. Now, notice this. In the New Testament, in the book of Acts, is it interesting that the early Christians are called the way? Did you know this? Mm, I did. They know said that. Uh, yeah. you're part of the way, right. which is a whole nother, and we don't have time to unpack that. But it's a whole nother picture of That's a walk. A good point. So the Christian life, I tell people, you're well. Think about Psalm one. I mean, just off the, just off the top of my head, blessed is the man who's not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. It's a downward progression of what happens when a person gets out of the wor- word and into the world. Okay. Okay. And so the, the the picture is you're supposed to be walking. You're blessed, but when you stop walking, you stop stand. Okay, or stand, stand. Stand right, and then eventually you squat because you're hanging with sinners in the world. So wow. anyway, that's why we came up with this okay. pathway. Jesus wants us, I believe, to grow in our spiritual relationship with him, and it's easy to take a step. And so every Christian is on a journey. Right. We're walking somewhere. Some are walking in the wrong direction, right? Yeah. But a lot of walking in the right direction. And so, some aren't moving at all. They're kind and of some stuck. aren't moving at and, all. And they're and they're happy where they're at, but they know they need to go somewhere. And so ultimately they're not happy. Whole nother story, whole nother podcast. Whole nother podcast. That's yeah. another podcast for another for day. For another day. <laughs> That's right. Okay. So let's get to the uh, community. community. Okay. Community. Here's the idea. We talked about this a, a week ago. Jesus ministered in these distinct groups. He spoke to the crowd, but on few occasions. Right. Jesus, it's interesting restricted 90% of his time to 12 men. Mm -hmm. Now think about that. In the infinite wisdom of God, the smartest man, the greatest orator to ever walk planet Earth decided to restrict his time Hmm. to 12 men. Now, if Jesus was an American pastor, he'd be very different. 
Because you got to understand, we, we go to Israel every year at Long Hollow. I take trips. We're going this year. We'll prayerfully go next year. And we take our j- group the first stop, Chris, on the journey. Actually, it's the second stop, but this is the first day to Caesarea by the sea. Hmm. Have you heard of this? I've heard of it. Yes, I haven't been there. Okay. Not Caesarea <laughs> Philippi, where okay. he says to right. Peter and the group, but who do you say sea, that this, uh, Caesarea by the sea. of, of uh, Marketplace. Okay, it's a big marketplace. Right. It's by the sea. It's a port city. Okay. And uh, Pontius Pilate has a stone engraved to him there. This is a huge city. This is where uh, the kings and the queens and, 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 and you know the, the haughty toddy of the world come in yeah. uh, to Israel. And what's interesting is there is a 4,000-seat amphitheater there. Now, this place, Caesarea by the Sea, is not far from the hometown of Jesus in Nazareth. In fact, we believe Jesus could have known would have known about it, and we believe Jesus could have visited Caesarea by the Sea. Definitely as a kid. But notice this. You'll never find Caesarea mentioned Hmm. in the New Testament. Wow. Jesus never preaches there. He never travels there. He never visits there. What does that tell us? It's very telling. If Jesus was an American evangelist, he would have taken his disciples. They would have had flyers. They would have placed them on the chariots of every every, uh, horse and buggy in town. And they would have said, come see the greatest show on earth. Invite your lost friends. Invite your lost friends Um, to come see. Far from God. We've got a service for those far from God. Far from God. Caesarea by the sea. Come see the man who walks on water, who raises the dead, who gives sight to the blind, the deaf hear. Come see Jesus Christ in the flesh. Oh, boy. Well, Well, I mean, think about it. He didn't do that way. He didn't do it that way. He did not do that. Think about it. He could have done that. They could have packed that place out, Chris. Every ear that would have listened in the entire country could have came, would have come and see him. But notice he didn't do that. And here's what's very telling for us. Jesus was not interested in in drawing a crowd. Mm Mm-hmm. Anybody can draw a crowd. The Pharisees drew crowds. Fighting a Walmart parking lot can draw a crowd. On Black Friday. On Black Friday, any day of the week. But well, Black that's Friday true. But yeah, Walmart yes, can be yes. busy. That's especially. a large crowd, but not for the right reasons. Right, not for the right reasons. <laughs> but Jesus realized the impact of investing in a few. So back to our, our point. Jesus invested 90% of his time with 12 men. Right. Yes. I, I got challenged years ago. I, I started to think about that, and I thought, as a pastor, how much do I invest my time with a small group of people? Mm. Uh oh. Yeah, because it was kind of the reverse <laughs> for me. I was right. rarely spending time with a, a small 90% group. Ninety percent of your time on church work, quote unquote, running a church, leading business meetings, yeah. dealing with cantankerous choir members and demon deacons and other things that happen. <laughs> I'm playing, I'm playing. Other Only, a little that, bit. Only a little bit. Though. Well, maybe seriously, but seriously. Okay. But but here's the thing. Jesus restricted his time to 12 men. And so this group of 12 is a model for us in the ministry. So we like to call them life groups. You can call them right. uh, small groups. You can Some call, them call them Sunday school. Sunday Just school. Old school, Sunday school class. You, you call it whatever to. you want. And here's one of the things we've realized about Replicate. There are some ministries out there who would say, blow up Sunday school. Get rid of Sunday school. Doesn't work. And granted, there are some things about the traditional Sunday school model that need to be tweaked. And I'm sure in your church or in your context, you would agree with that. Sure. But what we're saying is don't get rid of that because those Sunday school life group, small group classes can be shored up in such a way, Chris, where they become the fishing ponds for D group relationships later. Well, and there's also some specific things that happen 
in what we would call a life group. I'm going to call it a small group because I think that's a generic small group, term. Yeah. But when we say that, we're referring to Sunday school class. When you meet with 12 or more people, you know, generally we would say 12 to 20, something like that is, yes. is the size of the group. And we're trying to emulate, again, what Christ did with the 12. And so that's a little bit of that uh, uh, background as to why that group would be that way. But also because we're trying to see biblical community happen. Yeah. And biblical community doesn't happen on a Sunday morning sitting side by side with people in rows of chairs. True. Beyond how you doing this week. True. Uh, biblical community can happen in some other uh, other. Um, places, but ultimately, this is where we want to see biblical community happening. And so, uh, as you talked about, Christ emulated this for us, but what do you, you know, when you think about biblical community for you as a pastor, um, you're busy, you're preparing sermons, you're, uh, you're conducting, you know, weddings, funerals, visitation, um, you're doing the, just the normal ins and outs of day-to-day work in an office, you're hanging out with people on a consistent basis, you're leading with your staff, you're meeting with your lead team, yeah. all of the things that pastors do at churches. Yeah. How do you fit this in, and, and why do you think it's critical for pastors to actually emulate this for their people? Well, great question, and, and that's one of the reasons we challenge all of our pastoral staff, all of our ministerial staff, to be in a life group. We can't expect our people to do things we're not doing, Chris. So we've right. got to encourage them. Well, I encourage them. And I would say, we just we, you were in that meeting, we just raised hands and I think all, most all but one right. uh, were in life groups uh, in our community. And here's he's why. He's currently looking for a new place. No, yeah, the, the guy who wasn't, yeah, I think he's, <laughs> yeah, out, he's finding a new place of service. But anyway, <laughs> now, uh, so, so basically the reason we do that is this. Uh, we need we need community, right? You're not going to get it, as you said, in the larger gathering. And so what happens is these groups, let me define the groups, 12 to 20, okay? okay. Uh, men and women side by side. Now, granted, there are some uh, girls-only groups and some right. guys-only groups, but most of the time— Specifically, you might be thinking of widows— Right. Uh, oftentimes have a group or single moms uh, or an affinity group. You know, guys like to ride bikes or whatever. And yeah, so because they cars. love doing that, they get together and that's a that's a life element that drives them together. OK, now here's the big difference, Chris. And this is a big shift. You want to do something radical in your church this week. Take your Sunday school life group setup, which is normally in rows where people are looking front to back, mm-hmm. meaning I'm looking at the back of a head of a guy in front of me. He's looking yeah, at the back of a right, head right. in a row and change that up and put your group in circles mm. uh, where you have one big circle where we move from looking front to back to face to face. And it's a more of a facilitation of right. the study than a lecture student, because let's be honest, hearing a sermon on Sunday by a pastor who just worked for 10 to 15 to 20 hours a week, uh, who's breaking the bread of God and speaking the word of God to the people of God for the glory of God. And then you immediately leave there and you go into a Sunday school life group lesson to hear a message by a teacher, thank God for him, who's been busy leading a family, leading a job, working in the workplace, who's probably prepared one to two hours, with all due respect, because he doesn't have time, to get up and speak, watch this, a different lesson on a different topic, mm-hmm. on a different text. And what you just did on Sunday is leave the church unable to really apply both of them. Yeah. You've Great lost info. the potency of that, that sermon, in essence, because now we've gone to a different topic, and depending on which one, you know, uh, however they're delivered, whatever, all the elements that could go with that. Yeah. But the reality is we're, uh, we're not capturing the synergy of here's God's word preached. Now let's walk through it together in a, in a smaller group. Well, we diluted the message we just heard. And, and here's the thing. I'm not saying one is better than the other. One is more uh, applicable than the other. Right. What I'm saying is it's hard to apply 
more information mm-hmm. when we just keep adding on more information. Right. I mean, for example, think about. It. I mean. Y- 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 you and I both know we, we read so many books. We're, we're a social media culture. We've right. got Twitter and Facebook and uh, news feeds, and we're watching news with uh, people talking and things scrolling at the bottom and right. things in the corner. It's not that we need more information. You know that. Right. It's that we need to apply the information we already That's know. That's right. Here, yeah. Here's what Dave Browning said years ago. He wrote a book called Deliberate Simplicity. Mm. This is the quote, Chris, I would say that changed my thinking. He said, the problem in the American church or the problem in the church today is not the gap between what we know and what we don't know. Mm-hmm. See, because we fell into this fallacy in the, in the church that we need to learn more stuff. Right. Like if we just learn more stuff, then we're going to be more mature. And granted, I'm not discounting information because we need to learn more of the Bible. We need to learn more theology, more doctrine. Right. But more information without application is useless information. And here's the thing. Dave Browning said, the problem in the church today, get this, is not the gap between what we know and what we don't know. It's the gap between what we know and what we do. Mm. He said, American Christians have become educated beyond their obedience. (laughs) Definitely true. See, it's not the things in the Bible that we don't know that we have a problem with. Right. It's those things we do know that we we're challenged with. Like don't look, don't lust, don't steal, don't lie. Like those are the things we're trying to live out on a daily basis. Right. So here's the thing. In our community life groups, and this was the game changer, we move from a two things. We move from a lecture student model to a circle model where we're living together and journeying. So uh, we do that by not just facilitating new information we teach, but by reiterating the sermon that I just preached. Right. So we do sermon-based life groups, okay? So we reiterate what we just learned and we apply it. So let's, let's say, for example, this week I just preached on parents discipling their kids and children obeying their parents from Ephesians 6.1, right? And basically what happened is uh, I talked about some practical ways that dads can disciple their kids and some ways dads can, uh, as Paul says, don't provoke or provoke or stir up your children to anger, right. but dis- discipline and, and, and lead them in the instruction of the Lord. So what I gave is some practical ways parents do that. Dads provoke to anger when they show favoritism. Dads provoke to anger when they are overbearing. Dads provoke to anger when they're inconsistent. Dads provoke to anger when they break promises with their kids. Now, if you leave that sermon and you go into another life group and the life group teacher teaches on the importance of giving. Yeah. <laughs> hey, with all with all due respect, that's a great sermon. Sure. Great, great lesson. Yeah. But it just undercuts the impact of what you could have said. Now watch this. You got a group of men and women in the room and you say, hey, pastor just talked about how we can be better parents and disciple our kids. Right. Let's look at some practical ways. What do you guys think are ways that you provoke your own kids that we didn't think about? Uh, that's strong. And I, I think, you know, I've had the question asked before. We do a lot of trainings with Replicate. And so churches all over. Uh, literally all over the world, not just in, in America, not just in the South. We have uh, actually Tim LaFleur is in the Middle East That's right, right now. He's in the Middle East training, right now. Training pastors yeah. and leaders, underground it's, it's pastors, so awesome. leaders. Yeah. And how to make disciples. And here's what's interesting, Chris. In other countries, we take for granted in America that we know about discipleship. And most, most do, but a lot don't. But in other countries, this is a brand new concept. Right. They've never even heard of like discipleship. Yeah. 
what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> now, there's some right. American churches right. like that too, but yeah. <laughs> but in these trainings, we will get questions. And one question that we will get is, you know, am I depriving someone of their gift of teaching, for instance? Great question. If we, if we have this model where we're facilitating around the sermon. Um, and, and then the other thing, other question we might get is, you know, uh, you know, our people want to go through a book that they've read, or they want to go through a series that they think is important to them. And all of these are elements that we have to struggle with as, as church leaders, as people who attend churches. But one of the things that I think is so crucial and it's a mind shift. It's what you said earlier. It's looking at all we do at the church as one pathway. And that's, that's the beauty of the pathway. It's getting everything together to say, let's go in this direction. A lot of churches are siloed. They're fragmented uh, because different ministries have different leadership roles. They're, you know, I'm, I'm a discipleship pastor, a spiritual formation pastor. I want to say where we go in direction to this. Yeah. Um, when it comes to the pastor, I'm going to preach and I want to go down the, the road on this series, the kids ministry. We got this great idea for kids and everybody together is talking through their different uh, vision and goal. What the pathway helps us do is unite that together for the sake of getting all our families on the same page. Yes. Because we need to equip and help the parents with the kids, the the teenagers, the young, all, everyone. But we need to show them, hey, here's a simple way that we together can walk down this pathway. And, and the beauty of that, I believe, is exactly what you said. One is working off of the other. People don't leave confused. Yeah. They don't leave with four or five different topics, messages, and, and, and apply none. Yeah. Instead, we drive home the truth of the one. And uh, and here's, here's what I would say to, to those leaders, you know, when we say, are we taking away someone's opportunity to teach? Yeah. If they're a great teacher, they're going to do a great job leading and teaching a sermon curriculum as well but now we're being held accountable to the things we've we've talked through and that is a well, key shift i think that's that's a great point and here's what i would say facilitation of a group does not strip you from the ability to instruct and teach through that process because right. that's i mean you know as well as i do if you and i are going to and i lead a life group in my home okay as do I, I, just for the record so do I. you do as well okay <laughs> Do you teach in your life group? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Do we facilitate in life group? Yes. Do we instruct in the life group? Do we reprove in the life? Absolutely. We do all those things. So for some people who are better teachers, they'll have more weighty uh, doctrinal issues they'll they'll address. For some who are scared to teach but say, hey, I could still facilitate a group, right. then they can do that as well. And here's the beauty. When you move from that teaching only model, you're going to be amazed at how many more people will participate in the process. Process right. because they don't feel like, hey, I'm not the master teacher. I'll tell you a story before we close. I had a lady at our church when I first went to Brainerd, and uh, you know this lady, the one who uh, is the theatrical singer. So when you have her on stage, she would, you know, these theatrical performance. And I would question. Her. I said, ah, I think you sent. You look like you're drawing attention to. You. Oh no, my perfection is a performance for the Lord. You know, one of those. You know, I said, okay. I think I've seen this individual. You've seen before. this lady before. This, we all have her. Not this individual lady, but. But someone, yeah. nice, but someone like nice her, okay. Like her. Yeah. So, but so she was going to seminary. Her husband was very quiet, passive aggressive. Uh, but he came up. He didn't talk. He didn't talk much. So he came up to me one Sunday after church, and he said, "Pastor, I just want to tell you." And his wife was standing there. She's looking up. They were about. 10, 15 years older than me at the time. I was in my early 30s. She's, he said, Pastor, I just want you to know you're making a big mistake and you're missing the greatest opportunity to have the greatest teacher in our church teaching that you won't let teach. Uh -oh. I said, oh, really? Brother, who, who, who are you talking about? Now, she's wide-eyed uh, yeah. looking at me next to me. He said, 
my wife right here. She's got a seminary degree. She wants to teach. She has the gift of teaching. She, she wants to have a class. Why don't you give her a big class so she can teach in? I said, uh, let me ask you, uh, Diane, let me ask you a question. I said, uh, you, you have the gift of teaching? Yes. Oh, I want to teach. What do you want to teach? I want to teach a big class with a lot of women. <laughs> I said, how many ladies are you personally discipling right now? She said, none. I said, don't you think it'd be important to start with a few before God gives you a ministry of many? Why don't we start with little and let God raise us up with much? They, uh, they are what we call the backdoor revival at churches where <laughs> they complained and then eventually they left and we helped them find a new place. But here's the thing. Most people think- Holy I'm subtraction, I think. Is the, the blessed called. subtraction. Blessed subtraction. Yeah, that's what Tim says. But here's the thing. The reality is this. People want to teach in front of thousands. They want to travel the world. And what I, and, and Tim LaFleur told me this years ago. He said, I, he said, what do you think you're going to do in, in the future? I said, Tim, man, I'd love to be used by the Lord to impact thousands of people one day. You know what Tim said? How about we start with a few? <laughs> Hello. That's, he said, that's, an, that's what Jesus did. How, do we, how about we start with a few? Yeah. Be faithful to God with little and let God elevate your ministry. You don't try to elevate. Let God elevate your ministry. Yep, that's great. And I think as we wrap up this section on, on the, uh, the, this commu- biblical community, uh, a place where we can live out the one another's with, with our, our fellow believers in um, biblical community together, whether you do it in the church, whether you do it in homes, the, the goal is that this piece is critical. Um, but next week, we're going to go deeper in community and we're going to clarify because this, this is a big question I think a lot of people are asking. What is the difference between a uh, Sunday school, small group, life group, and a discipleship group? And why do I need to have both of those? Thank you for joining us for this episode of Making Disciples with Robbie Gallaty. If you don't mind, take a moment to subscribe and share the podcast. You can find out more about disciple making, resources related to disciple making, and our customized training on our website at replicate.org.